it's this longing that people have to have this this deep connection with their dog. listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 70 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. And happy Memorial Day weekend to those of us here in the USA. Sometimes I try to take off for a week when we have these holiday weekends here, but my schedule's already been so crazy these last few weeks, and our schedule's already been so screwed up from having COVID. I had an IT meltdown. I had a big volunteer event this month where we had a a free wellness clinic that provided free veterinary care to 165 dogs in Baltimore. And then I was away last weekend with the Healthy Dog Expo in Albany, New York. You know, I'm kind of a dog health nerd. I'm always obsessed with getting the best, healthiest products for our dogs and learning as much as I can. And it was a lot of fun, very exhausting for an introvert like me, but a lot of fun to get to go up to New York and meet and talk to some of the amazing people, veterinarians, company owners who are putting out some of the best products for our dogs. And before we get started with today's guest, I'm going to tell you real quick about the easiest thing you can do to improve your dog's dental health. I know February was Pet Dental Health Month, but we really need to think about our dog's dental health all year round. I recently learned that 80% of our dogs over three years old have active dental or periodontal disease. And dental disease is actually a sign of other inflammation in the body and can be connected to everything from cardiovascular problems, kidney problems, fatty liver disease, diabetes, certain types of cancers, joint disease, pulmonary conditions. Your dog's dental health actually can affect everything in their body. And you know that I am obsessed with finding the best and healthiest products for our dogs. So I was so excited to find out about teeth. That's right, teeth. Just a tiny spoonful of teeth powder in your dog's water bowl will make a huge improvement in your dog's dental health. It's the only thing that ever made my vet stop and go, hey, what did you do with Penny's teeth? They actually look so much better. So forget trying to figure out how to get your dog's teeth brushed without them biting you. Forget those sticks or green shoes. What you need is teeth powder, just a tiny amount in your dog's water bowl. And listeners of this podcast can save 20% on your teeth order with the code ADM. And you'll be on your way to a healthier smile for your dog without any anesthesia needed. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more about teeth and save 20% on your orders. So today we are talking to Shannon Cutts. Shannon is an animal communicator, a Reiki master, a teacher, a mentor, an author, and a podcaster. And one of the questions we're going to be exploring with Shannon today is, 
Are all of us animal communicators and we just don't know it? I first connected with Shannon at the end of 2022, and I remember we had a Zoom meet and greet. It was either right before or right after Christmas time. And at that time, I had my heart dog Penny by my side, and Shannon had her heart bird, Pearl, perched on her shoulder at the time. And unbeknownst to us, just a few months later, when we finally got to record, both Pearl and Penny have passed on. So we had some stops and starts and delays and I had COVID and all of these things that affected our schedule. And I was so glad to finally be able to connect with Shannon and have this interview. I know I've shared with you before that I was definitely never a dog person growing up. And it wasn't until my husband, Tim, who was still my fiance at the time, it wasn't until he really pushed the issue about getting a dog that I went along with it. And I never had a lot of pets growing up, but I did have a pet bird that my parents got. It was right after I graduated high school, and I named him Ozzy Osbird. And Ozzy was a sun conure, which is like a small cockatiel parrot, small, small guy, not one of those big ones that you see, like the macaws. And he was gorgeous. I'll try to post a picture on social media this week so you can see it. He looked like a little rainbow. His cheeks had like red and orange, and then he had yellow and green, and the tip of his tail was blue, and he was a beautiful bird. And when I was in college, I lived at home and commuted to Towson University here in Baltimore, and I would schedule all my classes at like 8 a.m. so I could be done by noon, and then I could come home and nap until I had to go to work at night. And you had to have 8 a.m. classes or else you couldn't get any kind of parking on campus. I learned that the hard way my first semester. (laughs) It was not worth the extra sleeping in hours (laughs) to hike five miles in the pouring down rain to your class. So Ozzy would be my nap time buddy. I'd get home from school at like 1230 and I would sleep until like four o'clock when I had to go to work at the mall where I worked retail job at the music store. And Ozzy would like curl up in my hair and he, he'd be my nap time buddy. And he, he was very sweet. That was pretty much my first and only other experience with any kind of pet before we had our dogs. And I loved that Shannon is somebody who's really into birds and turtles and dogs. And after the loss of her bird Pearl earlier this year, she is now the mom to a very young bird named Petal. And you'll be able to hear Petal, who was perched on Shannon's shoulder throughout our interview. And a couple times she makes her opinions known about what we're talking about. So if you hear a whistling noise in the background and you're wondering what that is, that's Petal. So we're going to hear all about Shannon's background and the role that animals have played in her life from a young age. And she's going to tell us about her long and winding path to becoming an animal communicator. It's not something that she knew she could do as a young child or even as a young adult. Shannon's going to tell us about how animals have helped her heal from things in her life. And Shannon is also a Reiki master. So we're going to talk some about what Reiki is and the role that that plays in being an animal communicator. Shannon has talked a lot about highly sensitive pets. So we're going to hear more about what that means and how we can know if our pet falls into this category. 
Shannon will tell us about some of her favorite client stories, how she handles trolls, and we're going to explore that question. Are all of us animal communicators and we just don't know it? So let's get started. I'm so excited for you to meet Shannon Cuts. So we're here today with Shannon Cuts. Shannon, how are you? Just delighted to be here. This has been a long, little bit of a long time in the making with all the stops and starts of 2022. It's taken us some time to connect and I'm absolutely delighted and honored to be a part. Thanks so much. I have so much I want to talk to you about. So I always love starting off by asking about your childhood experiences with pets. Uh, I always tell the story that I'm not somebody who really grew up with pets, definitely not dogs. I didn't know I was a dog person until I was 25. And what did that look like for you? Are you somebody that grew up with pets? I did. I grew up with with nature, and yet we didn't have any animals in our home until I was eight. So the 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 childhood home that was you know kind of my permanent home because we moved around a lot during the first few years well it t- it turns out it's the same house that I'm living in now which is kind of surreal at 52 but we have a bayou behind it and the bayou attracted all kinds of wonderful wildlife from egrets and herons to toads and frogs and lizards and small furries and lots and lots of shelled beings turtles and uh the occasional tortoise. And so I was surrounded by it. My mom used to take my my brother and I out with at night it with buckets because so many of the frogs and toads would end up in the in the streets. And so we would rescue them back to our yard so they could hop under the fence and go back into the bayou. And so it just became a really not nature saturated experience for me growing up, even though we are in a big city here in Houston, Texas. But somewhere around the age of seven, I encountered birds and spent my entire seventh year of life begging mom and dad for a parrot companion. And when I was eight, I remember being bundled into the car and driven to a house I didn't recognize. And when we walked in, there was a woman I didn't know, and she had a little green and yellow parakeet on her finger. And she said, he's yours. And Perky became my instantaneous bestie. And we had birthday parties for him. He was there at all my birthday parties. He was in all of our family photos. He and I were inseparable until I left for college. And he he actually lived to 11, which at that time was pretty impressive (laughs) for a parakeet. And then, of course, I went off to college and didn't really have... We also kept um, and rescued many, many young aquatic turtles, mostly red-eared sliders and yellow-bellied sliders and little map turtles that were coming out of the, the, the ground around the, the bayou where they had, you know, their eggs had been laid. And so we would keep... I, at one point, I had five water turtles and the eldest, Red... When we went to go and release them into a local nature sanctuary, he actually turned around and followed me and tried to follow us home. It's one of the great heartaches of my life. Although, of course, as an animal communicator, I have been able to tune in with him. He tells me he's actually a her. And then he had 
a great life and is now in spirit. So that eased some of the the heartache a little bit. You know, we we look back on these experiences where we we really have a deep gut intuitive knowing of an animal's intelligence and their their emotional uh, capacity to connect with us and their very intentional way of communicating with us. And we just, for me, I didn't recognize it at the time. I knew that moment was significant, but I didn't really get it. And I, I didn't have any real believing eyes around me to say, yes, what you, what you saw, what you felt, what you heard, that was the thing that you think it was. And follow that. I would have picked picked him, her up right away and taken her back home with us. But, you know, it, I feel like that was one of the very early stepping stones to the work that I do today. And since then, spotty through my twenties and thirties, I've been moving around a lot, doing a lot of different kinds of work, trying to find myself, I guess. But now I, I keep company with Petal, who's on my shoulder. Yes. <laughs> Petal's my third cockatiel, and she is 15 weeks old. I also have a nine-year-old red-footed tortoise named Malty, a one-and-a-half-year-old three-toed Texas box turtle, and my mom and I have a nearly eight-year-old standard wire-haired dachshund named Flash Gordon. So we have quite a full house here. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us more about how your path led you to becoming an animal communicator. You know, it's really interesting. I don't know if your listeners can relate, but so much of my life has felt like hurry up and wait. Like I can feel that something is is shifting in my life or that something is coming or that I'm evolving or that I'm kind of peeling back another layer of the onion or I'm on the path, but I've not really quite landed in my right work or my right, right relationship or my right home or whatever it may be. And yet all I'm getting is, you know, like the little swirling thing when you're waiting for your browser to load <laughs> and you just have to kind of wait and wait and wait and wait until it resolves itself and and there and th- th- more clarity comes through. It's like waiting for the clouds to move on a chilly day so you can get a little bit warmer when the sun breaks through. And so, you know, those early experiences with animal intelligence and empathy, animals are natural empaths, and so many lonely moments through high school and college when I would have to have struggle to make friends or find my people. And I would go and I would sit with a flock of crows on the lawn or go to a local park and sit with the turtles and the ducks and talk to them. Or just sit with the trees and just feel so, you know, so at home having my bare feet on the earth. And so there were many, many small moments, but it's kind of like backseat driving in a way. We don't want to beat ourselves up over it. We just want to say, okay, that's some extra validation that I can take with me as I move forward and feel even more supported, especially taking those first few shaky and very tentative steps into a new path. You know, I've my resume looks like, you know, multiple, uh, 10 wheeler wrecks. Like it's just I've kind of been all <laughs> over the map, you know, just trying. And, and yet looking back at all those experiences, now I can see how working at a blue chip oil company taught me about how to get disparate personalities on the same page around a group project. I can see how launching and running a charity for 10 years taught me how to, how to work with what I have. And, you know, 
we were always chronically underfunded, understaffed, and yet we did make a difference. And we were able to, to, to be a blessing in this world. And so, you know, making a career pivot at, when you turn 50, I, I, I guess, you know, for me in a way, I had the brave to do that because I had, I had made these pivots before. What often happens is when my little personal wheel stops spinning, <laughs> my little browser window finally stops and produces its results. The way that that tends to happen for me is when I'm meditating. I have meditated since I was 19 years old and I'm 52 now. So quite a while, quite a long time, many, many moons. And so what will happen is I'll just be, you know, minding my own business as usual, meditating in the morning and I'll get what I, I call a download, a little bit of tidbit of information that I didn't know I was waiting for. And one morning, shortly after I turned 50, I heard the words, you are an animal sensitive and intuitive. And I thought, that's fascinating, but I don't know what it means. (laughs) And it was a really chaotic time. I had been running a pretty popular Always use that term tentatively if we're you know talking about thousands versus millions of followers, but I certainly definitely had built a, a lovely extended flock community online with a blog I was running, Love and Feathers and Shells, that was built around my soul bird Pearl, who passed this past January. And it started to dawn, I did kind of started to dawn on me that these back and forth kind of mock conversations, it was like I was, I was doing a monologue, but I was, you know, having a conversation and I was, I was out loud on video for our followers and I was filling in Pearl's side of the conversation. And it just started to occur to me that maybe I wasn't just making it up. Maybe he was actually speaking and channeling through through my using my voice to express what he wanted to say. And he was so uplifting. I wrote a whole book about it called Love and Feathers, What a Palm-Sized Parrot Has Taught Me About Life, Love and Healthy Self-Esteem. He healed my heart. He healed, helped me heal my body from years of eating disorders, um, depression and anxiety. He helped me heal my soul in so many profound ways. And I was hiring animal communicators, so I was open to it. And, and, you know, very, I'd had some really positive experiences when my then one-year-old tortoise Malty decided to run away and have an adventure in the, in the football field sized yard next to our house. I used animal communicators three, in fact, and they all told me the same information that turned out to be correct about where and where to find her and when I will find her. So there were things lining up again that I look back at it and I can see the signposts along the way. And yet with this download, I thought my best friend had just died unexpectedly, not of COVID. Um, she, it was a very, it was a catastrophic loss for me. She really was my person. And my dad was making his final transition that would start a couple months later. So I was in this very porous, permeable, time in my life where my, you know, when we're in, in the presence of those who are making their transition, it feels like something about us, our hearts just open, we become more open to support and help from unseen places from light workers in other dimensions that truly have our best interests at heart, but have trouble on a day to day to day basis breaking through and being heard. 
And so I feel like that's where that download came for anyone who's listening to this and is like, geez, you know, what's up? I just, nothing. I feel like I'm hurting gerbils in my own life. You know, it's like just taking a minute to breathe and just carving out a little quiet, just placing your feet, bare feet on the earth, just giving yourself a minute. You know, we don't give ourselves a minute. But something about being in the presence of those who are transitioning, it just takes it takes space somehow. We find the space. We find the time. We enter this kind of alternate reality where we're waiting expectantly, and our but and and our hearts are completely open. And I feel like that's what allowed this download to finally pop in. Finally, I gave enough of my time and attention and willingness and I help me. I'm in so much pain. I'm just, there isn't any particle of me that isn't aching for somebody who isn't here anymore. And there was a series of losses again and again and again, five or six losses that just piled up. And it gave me some kind of internal brave to just say yes. It's like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I, I like the sound of that. And I was able to connect with a mentor of mine and have a private coaching session. And I shared this and she said, oh, animal communication, that's a brilliant career path. I'd had animal communicators that I'd worked with for years telling me I could do this, but I just I didn't grow up in that. I wasn't, you know, fourth generation psychic who had, you know, who's now I hear the stories when I ask my mom, you know, about her family and I hear some crazy, amazing things that her grandmother and great grandmother predicted. And so I'm like, oh, okay, it was there in the DNA. It is, it's in all of our DNA, but so many of us don't have that, that mirroring. And so it allowed me to invest my time, invest the money that I needed, invest in um, having the courage to try to have those first shaky conversations. And I found that it flowed like nothing else I've ever done in my life. It just started to unfold like it had always been there. And it had taken so long in my case to percolate that it kind of popped out fully fledged, so to speak, right, Petal? It was fully fledged, wasn't it? Just like you. Yeah. So that's how it worked for me. We all have a slightly different path, but sometimes we think, oh man, I really missed the boat. It's too late for me. And sometimes that just means that whatever it is, it's about to be born in you. Whatever it is that's coming into its own is, man, when it finally pops out, wait for it. It'll be worth the wait. So if anyone's listening to this and just feeling really discouraged, you know, tuck that away, meditate on that and go out, put your bare feet on the ground and ask for, ask for the, the earth's support to allow, to give you the courage and the vulnerability and the permeability and, and the heart and the, the humility to allow yourself to get to know yourself in a new way. Allow yourself to realize you don't know everything there is to know about you. There's so much more to be revealed and it will be worth the wait. That's a really beautiful message for all of us. Yeah. So one of the things I've seen you talk about on your website is Reiki. And I was attuned to learn Asui Reiki uh, 
almost 10 years ago, I was realizing because it was when my old gals, my old dogs, uh, Lucy and Kalua were both very ill. They were both very sick at the time. And I was wanted to learn anything and everything that I could to, to try to help them at that time. And so can you tell us a little bit about how Reiki plays into animal communication? Absolutely. That's one of my favorite questions. And it's interesting how you share that you you sought out Reiki attunement in a time when you, those that you loved needed some extra help from you. And this this was your heart moving you and inspiring you to, to try anything and everything. That's what I love about our animals is that they do move us into areas that maybe they're a little outside our comfort zone and we become willing for their yeah. benefit. And that's really, really cool. I first was yeah. attuned in my 20s. And I think you and I chatted about this a little bit earlier um, before we press, press record, but it was a time in my life when I was very ill and it crossed my path in a meditation group I was in and I learned it. And yet it was kind of a different era. It wasn't, it was, it, things weren't as open and I wasn't as solid in my own foundation and inside myself, far from it as a matter of fact. And so I never was able to really understand what I was supposed to do with it and kind of forgot about it for 30 years. And then my best friend, Marcy, who was a Reiki master, passed away right before I turned six days before Christmas Eve. So just right after my 50th birthday. And my father was diagnosed with a serious, essentially terminal health condition and started his downward spiral. And one day I was at my parents' house and my father walked by and I kid you not, my hands picked themselves up from my lap, pointed them their palms in his direction and I swear to God, I tried to follow him. And I thought, oh, oh, that's right. I mean, I loved listening to Marcy's amazing stories of her, her Reiki healing session. She worked as a Reiki hospice volunteer. So, I mean, talk about amazing. Wow. I just loved yeah. being a fly on the wall. And so I kind of re re rekindled my interests, but I certainly wasn't viewing myself in that light. And yet when this happened, I thought, I need to seek out a teacher. Well, luckily I was in a, in a small group at the time with a two other people who were Reiki masters and they pointed me in the direction of their master. And so I was able to get the attune, the reattunement. And this time I added, I had been attuned to Reiki one and two. And this time I went ahead and uh, pursued the master. I wasn't able to attend the class before my father passed. And yet Reiki allowed me to do some truly, truly miraculous things um, to help him in his transition. And I offered Reiki every time he had to have his his medications and his morphine. Every four hours, I would sleep by his bedside and wake up to offer him Reiki to help his body make use of the medicine because he was he was in a coma and he wasn't um, wasn't able to communicate in the normal ways. And Reiki bridged that gap in so many remarkable, remarkable ways, helping me to transmit messages. And so it was very natural for me because all of this was kind of gelling and coming together all at once, all at the same time. It was very natural to me to just incorporate Reiki energy into every animal communication session I do. It's taken me a bit of time to kind of knit apart how each one 
is working in, let's say, an animal communication session versus an animal Reiki session versus uh, a Reiki session for, a, you know, another human animal. Reiki for me has, you know, it's infinite functionality. And yet I can look at it and I can say, well, the two main ways that Reiki shows up, because I feel like Reiki chooses us. Like if you're listening to this right now and you're intrigued and you're like, Ooh, I've never even heard of Reiki. Reiki is universal life force energy. And Reiki is a passionate, um, advocate for the the highest health and well-being of all and in my experience reiki chooses its practitioners reiki if reiki chooses you reiki will fall in love with you and will follow you around so if you're feeling that tug just know that it's quite possible that by saying yes you'll discover that reiki has chosen you and would like to uh, be of service through you in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't mean you have to hang out a shingle as a Reiki master practitioner, but it, it may just be that this is something that could really add some value and benefit and, and real beauty in your life. For me, Reiki can provide, um, it's kind of like, let's say you're about to meet somebody new and you just let, you want to let them know that you're a friend. Maybe, you know, if you're a human animal, you um, send them a little happy face emoji on the phone, or maybe you bake them some cookies or something. Uh, for me, when, I, when I'm connecting with an animal who, who you know, doesn't know me, I use the Reiki to create a safe space. I just reach out with the Reiki. I'm not trying to heal that animal. I'm not, you know, trying to initiate a Reiki session. I'm sending out an energetic calling card. I'm sending the equivalent of an emoji saying, I'm friendly. I have your highest and best interests at heart. I am here to serve you, to be your voice, to be your advocate. And I find that even, even the, the very shyest or most traumatized or just highly sensitive animals, when they, they receive that little energetic text message from me, or this little energetic plate of, you know, dog treats or cat cookies or whatever it is, or, or, or millet if you're an avian, right? They're more inclined to drop their guard a little bit. You know, it's a common misconception that animals, you know, the moment that we tune in with them, they're all just waiting to talk to humans because, wow, what the ultimate, you know, what, are we doing them a favor or something? It's like, no, animals are just like us. They have very unique personalities. Some of them, they're like, okay, we just met. I don't even know your name and you're asking me how my bowel function is. <laughs> Can we at least have a cup of coffee first? You know, so it's like we go charging on in there with our own agenda and the animal's like, I'm not telling you eh, eh, because you don't have any manners. You don't have any social graces. You know, shouldn't you groom me first or give me a treat? <laughs> so I use the Reiki to kind of say, hey, you know, we don't have a lot of time. You're a person scheduled a half hour session because they're worried or they have specific questions or they want to know if you want to add an animal to the family or what your end of life wishes are or why you won't eat your food or whatever it is. We have half an hour. So I don't actually have all day to groom you um, or feed you treats, but I want to let you know that I'm here because your person asked for me to join the conversation and I, I want to serve you. Please, please show me how best to do that. And here's a little sign that you can trust me. Now that's different from if somebody comes and says, I, you know, my animal is having a veterinary procedure. Has to, I, I, I did one series of Reiki sessions for a dog that had a severe heartworm infestation and had to have not one, but two different treatments 
to resolve that. And her person wanted Reiki to help Gracie at, you know, uh, to uptake the medicine, make better use of it, stay calm. Reiki's a great calmer. It's a great anxiety easer. Stay calm because that's a very important facet of success in this kind of a treatment and deal with having been so recently rehomed with her person and then having to go back to the vet clinic and then go home again and then go back to the vet clinic and then be confined in a crate. There was so much going on and the Reiki kind of eased that transition. So we, you know, Reiki is very meet you where you are. When I say Reiki is intelligent, I mean that Reiki is self-moderating. It's not going ever going to do harm. And so if an animal needs less, it's too intense. If an animal doesn't want it, if an animal is um, needs something different than what their human has asked for, then the Reiki is naturally self-moderating. I've, I've, I've not yet ever had an experience with Reiki, whether I'm receiving it or I'm offering it, where I haven't found that the entire outcome is, is the better for it. So it, you know, it's Reiki can facilitate animal communication. I have received many messages from animals while offering Reiki. Um, I've received messages from humans while offering Reiki, but that it's a little different. I, I do about half my work is animal communication and about half my work is channeling, which is connecting with the higher spirit team or the light team of whoever I'm talking with. And so it feels a little bit more like that, like I'm receiving messages through my le- my Reiki guide team and that animal's light team to f- that that is for the highest and best benefit of that animal and their person, if that makes sense. You ask such good, deep questions. I'm like, how can I just bullet point it without people going, oh God, this lady, woo, 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 woo. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So I just had a couple little things I wanted to share about my experiences with Reiki. And I, uh, you know, I'm a breast cancer survivor and when I got the diagnosis, it was extremely shocking to me. <laughs> and uh, I actually sought out the woman who attuned me, and I did a whole series of sessions with her before I ever started my chemo treatment or anything. And I'm just so glad that I did that. It was so healing for me on many levels, and I I felt like it like help me get my game face on and help me get into the space that I needed to, you know, work with all the treatments that I was doing. And that's, I think that's really the only time I've ever sought it out for myself. Uh, And then one thing that was just a really funny thing, uh, I took a, there used to be a, a yoga studio right down the street from my office. And they would have like a lunchtime, like quick yoga, you know, thing. And I went in there one day and I, I felt like, I was just being surrounded. Like there was just energy flying everywhere and I had never experienced anything like that. And I recognized it from being attuned and, and, you know, doing like the Reiki circle process and stuff, but I had never just like walked into a space and like could feel it like that before. I mean, it was almost like disconcerting and like, I couldn't concentrate or focus Mm. because there was just all this stuff around me. And so I had gone up to the teacher afterwards and and I was like, 
I, this is going to sound very strange probably, but are you a, a Reiki master or a Reiki teacher? And she was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. And I started to leave and I'm like, I don't know what was going on. And then she said, oh, but you know what? The woman who teaches in here before me is. She's like, now that you mention it. And so whatever had been going on, that's one of the only times I've ever like walked into a space and could just tell that it was active in the space. And But there's been other times too where I people, like one of my massage therapists, uh, you know, I had been going to him for a while and then I got attuned. And then the next time I went and had a session with him, I was like, do you know Reiki? And he was like, yes. And it was like, I can tell it when people are, are active. And it's just been, you know, I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm very open to all these types of things, but, you know, that's not my job. I'm not, you know, it's not like something that my, my life is, is like centered around. So it always catches me off guard when I'm around someone, when I'm not expecting it, you know, then I'm like, Oh, there's, there's Reiki going on here. It's such an interesting just phenomenon. And I, I, I enjoy it. I, and I'm so glad that I learned it, even though I should probably be better about keeping up with it. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful, it's a, beautiful reminder it's really neat that you are so aware and that you can you can make that shift that energetic shift so quickly from wherever you know the the day-to-day the routine stuff that we all have to tend to versus when you do encounter it that you're able to just kind of seamlessly shift over into oh reiki and really recognize it you know um it's interesting because I feel like Reiki does kind of open up again that little bit of window of space. We give ourselves a minute. And that's where it can feel kind of you get a little floaty. You get a little spacey. My best friend Marcy used to talk about being Reiki drunk. And, of course, I'm we're totally using that, you know, metaphorically. But she, um, she would call herself an attunement junkie because – even after you get attuned, you can always get reattuned. Sometimes that can really help, if especially if you've gone through trauma or you've gone, uh, you know, or you just you just want to kind of take your practice of Reiki to the next level. And so it kind of, in a way, like if we're able to tune in in that moment, it naturally gives us a minute. It's almost like it stretches time for us. For just a few minutes and it gives us a chance for once in our life, you know, for the one time in our day, we're allowed to feel a little spacey. We're allowed to just breathe and just kind of not know where we are in the world and just float a little. And that's when sometimes we get the best creative ideas and those little downloads that can be life-changing. So I love that you're so tuned in that you can recognize it, make that shift and yeah, maybe you just needed a little Reiki boost in that moment <laughs> and you allowed yourself to receive it. So beautiful story. The one thing I, I've heard you talk about is that both people and pets can be highly sensitive, you know, highly HSP, highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something else that I learned about myself. I don't quite know if I fall in that category, but honestly, just knowing that that was a thing uh, was almost a relief to me because I I am somebody like I get overwhelmed by my senses. I get overwhelmed if I'm around a lot of people. 
um, smells I'm very sensitive to, you know, any kind of like chemical products. Ever since I was a little kid, like I would get like rashes from, you know, too harsh of products or something or um, chemical sensitivities. And uh, my husband thinks I'm like a really picky eater because I, I don't like a lot of strong, overwhelming tastes or you know like I am not somebody that's ever going to eat like a pickle or anything like that you know and so I felt so strange for a long time and then I don't know maybe 10 or 15 years ago I discovered this definition of highly sensitive person and it was almost like this relief to me to be like oh that's a thing I'm (laughs) maybe I'm I'm in a minority but at least it has a label Can you tell us more about what that has looked like for you and in your work? Absolutely. In fact, I have, um, I just released a whole uh, highly sensitive pet, the HS pet help guide on my website, Uh, recorded a whole podcast about it, created some blog posts and a highly sensitive pet quiz to help you kind of parse out for yourself, is my animal highly sensitive? What we often find is yet again, our animals are leading us, calling us, asking us to get to know ourselves better too. So it's very cool that sometimes as we're researching, why doesn't my dog want to come out from under the bed when there's strangers in the house? Or why is, you know, why is my cat so noise sensitive or whatever it is that's going on? When we discover there's such a thing as a trait called high sensitivity, then we start to ask ourselves, wait a minute, I kind of, you know, we so often will push ourselves into settings like large crowds. It took me years to accept, I just don't want to go to big concerts. I just don't want to go to big fun runs. They're not fun for me. They're overwhelming, you know? So, I, you know, I stopped pushing myself into those situations that opened up more time for the things that that do resonate with me. And that all came about through caring for highly sensitive animals. I, When I first learned about Dr. Elaine Aaron, who's considered with, along with her husband, is considered the pioneer of the highly sensitive person, I was like, oh my God, it's not just me. It's a thing. The more research I did, and she's pioneered a lot of that, has a lot of great links on her website as well. You can just look her up, Dr. Elaine Aaron, or just type in highly sensitive person and her website. I think it's HS person will come up. And I found out that this is a trait that impacts about 20% of human population. It also impacts about 20% of at least 100 other species populations. And why wow. would this be a thing? Why would it be important for 20% of the given of a given population? to have this trait. Well, highly sensitive beings take a different approach to life. They are more attuned. They are their their settings, all of their internal sensory settings are ratcheted up. So most people walk around, you know, maybe a three to four, we're on 10 right out of the box. And so we're going to be a naturally little more cautious. We're going to naturally kind of get the big, very good at getting the big picture. What's going on? What's the vibe in the room? What's, you know, is it dinner hour in the jungle? Or are we just kind of, you know, at the watering hole for happy hour, you know, kind of really getting a vibe. And this actually enhances, improves the whole species population chances of survival, especially in cataclysmic events. And we've had a few of those over the millennia, you know, so if we've got certain, you know, certain subsect of the population that has this highly sensitive trait, they're always going to be 
you know, maybe hanging back when the 80% are charging forward. And so if that doesn't go well and the 80% don't come back, we've got 20% of the population that can replicate (laughs) and continue. And so, and vice versa, it's not always advantageous to hang back. Maybe, you know, it was, it would have been a better move to join, but then we've got the 80%. So there's, and there's all kinds of different ways to to look at that, I could really go deep. There's reasons um, that relate to the eating disorder that I struggled with for two decades of my life. Um, folks that have the the trait that I do, we process taste and sense and hunger cues differently. Well, maybe back when we were traveling nomads, we, w- we would have been the ones to retain a clear head when food and water was scarce and we could have led the the herd or the drive to safety. I don't know. But there are lots and lots of different applications for this trait. And it starts with recognizing that it is it is a thing. It's not just me being weird, being too sensitive, having a thick skin, not growing a set, whatever it is that you know, the 80% are kind of throwing, pitching at us as the reason for why that we are the way that we are. It's because we got a trait. It's a heritable genetic trait. And if it affects a hundred other species besides us, I don't think it's much of a leap to kind of assume that it probably impacts most of all, most of the species, including maybe ones we haven't even discovered yet. So in the, in the highly sensitive pet, now what makes the highly sensitive pet, the companion animal different than a highly sensitive wild animal? Well, essentially it's, they're living with us. And so the natural traits that would play out very, okay, this is cheesy, naturally in the wild they're going to look like behavior quirks in a a captive setting in a companion animal setting. It's going to be like, but dogs don't do that. And it's like, well, 20% of them do. And yet we don't see that. We don't keep company with a whole, you know, hurt nuts, hurt isn't the right uh, group pack of dogs. We, we have maybe one or two dogs, so we don't have a big frame of reference. So if we've kept dogs all our life and then this one dog we have, overreacts to everything and only wants to eat a certain kind of picky eater, only a certain kind of food and can tell when, you know, their water is a little off and only wants to potty in a certain area and doesn't want to go out unless you go out first or whatever the traits may be. We're like, Oh God, I got to get a, get this dog to a trainer or we got to hire an animal communicator. It's like your dog's just, chances are good that your dog is just highly sensitive. Now, can the trait of high sensitivity be amplified by illness or trauma or uh, the end of life process or the myriad of other changes, adding a new member to the family of any species, somebody leaving, uh, a separation, a move to a new house, a vacation, all kinds of and even environmental toxins, all kinds of things. Yes, they can amp up, they can amplify, magnify the trait of high sensitivity. And so it's not that the, not that your animal is highly sensitive, therefore, no matter what happens, they don't need any help. No, that's not what I'm saying. But again, we take a look at this individual animal and we, we can, you know, you can use the highly sensitive pet quiz. It's based on the work uh, that Dr. Aaron, she created a quiz for highly sensitive people and just kind of pulled over some of the those traits. So you can kind of take a look and go, well, on my animal's best day, <laughs> when they're as healthy and happy and 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 grounded as they 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 can possibly be, you know, just more than half of this list apply to them. Well, if that's the case, that the trait of high sensitivity is probably playing its part 
and then we can look at, you know, is there other, are there other um, secondary influences like trauma or like illness, like injury, things like that, that are going on. But it starts with just getting to know your animal and just recognizing, you know, all dogs don't do this and not that. Every animal is an individual. And what I've often found is that the animal does come in, the highly sensitive animal does arrive in that human's life in part because that human may have at least an aspect of the trait. Of course, we can all be, we can be low high sensitivity. We can be high, high sensitivity. We can fall somewhere in the middle. We can be more reactive in certain settings than others because maybe we've had trauma or illness or injury or something that's impacted us in those areas. But ultimately it means that because that human has some level of the trait themselves, they're uniquely perfectly placed really to care for that animal, to accept them exactly the way that they are and to work with them to set up a home life that really allows them to feel at ease and feel truly loved for the unique individual that they are. But it's, it can feel rocky at first, you know, be like, what's wrong with, I actually had one woman walk up to me. She had six of her friends with her and her great Dane this long suffering animal following behind them. And she walked right up to me. I was at a booth at a vendor event. She said, can you fix my dog? And the dog's looking at me going here, here she goes again. And I said, well, um, how do you respond to that? Well, what's wrong with him? Uh, well, he's autistic. Everybody says so. And you know, I, I just said, well, here's my card. <laughs> That's really all you can say. At a, you're, we're at a bar. It's a noisy event. She's there with her friends and this poor dog's looking and he's just saying, can you, you know, often I want to say, I think the human may need a little fixing or maybe um, educating, but you know, this is what happens. We think our dog is broken. They're not broken. They're, they're just unique. They just like everyone is unique and we just want to get, you know, maybe get a little bit better acquainted that, you know, so often the dog or the cat or the bird or the turtle sits right in our own blind spot about ourselves, you know, and that's a deeper, that's the soul contract piece of why out of all of these animals and all of these humans in the world, how on earth did we too find one another that never ceases to it just, it renders me almost speechless. Like how, how, how did I get so lucky to meet you out of all these millions and millions? It doesn't often feel lucky at first when we're, 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 you know, getting acquainted with a new trait or a new personality quirk that we've never encountered before, but the blessing is there. Again, the blessing is there. We embrace it. We learn from it. We move forward. We commit to it. And then we're going to probably find out something pretty remarkable that's really going to going to propel both of us forward and introduce us to a deeper level of love, acceptance, and connection than maybe we even ever knew was possible. Yeah, our our guy Nino, he's a special guy for sure, mm-hmm. and uh, like hyper vigilant is always the word that comes to mind when I. Uh, think of Nino and you know he all of our other dogs have always loved other people loved going places and he does not love either of the things (laughs) he does not even enjoy anybody coming over our house Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's it's been a journey but I'm so glad he's with us you know we've 
we have a very comfortable, quiet routine life. I, you know, he feels comfort in routines, you know, and I'm just always so thankful. Like he ended up in the right place. And honestly, the, the similarities between him and my husband sometimes are just so uncanny. And I just, and my husband's the one who saw his picture online and, and wanted to go meet him and is the one that kind of made the, was the driving force and bringing him to our family. And I mean, they are just like soulmates and, and I see it and I get it. And I'm so thankful he's with us, you know, that's really special. That's really neat. Again, it just feels like, you know, needed you guys. Yeah. And you said yes. And I mean, you look back at the whole depth and breadth of a life and you think, what, what am I really proud of? You know, what, what am I so glad that I did? And we look back and we see how we, how we help some, someone else. And it can be any species again. It's any species, not just other humans. You know, and we say, that's the stuff that makes me glad. We earned his trust. Yeah. Like it makes me happy that we've earned his trust and that he learned he yeah. could, you know, at least there's two people in this world he can trust. And that is very special to us. Yeah. And that you're, you know, it, it's really cool, um, especially that your husband, he was able again we to 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 feel that that little aha moment inside of him and to, and and to tr- that's the this is the really cool part I get speechless again to trust it and to say yes it's like we get we all get these but how many of us just push it aside or you know or actively say no that doesn't work because of all these mental factors and your husband was like yes got the yes just recognize that heart can I mean that's like oh I get shivered it's amazing <laughs> it's a it's it's a miracle it's a true miracle just this wonderful little okay that's worth flapping for huh it's worth flying for <laughs> you can't see you can't see what just happened but pedal just launched herself at the she couldn't stand it anymore she just launched herself at the <laughs> at the computer keyboard that's an emphatic yes if I've ever seen one yeah. <laughs> so Amazing. you had started to tell about a dog that you met uh, at this event. Like, do you have any oh stories goodness. that you just love about experiences you've had working with somebody and their dogs? Well, you know, out of out of all the animals that I have facilitated sessions for, dogs are the number one ask. I get more dog parents coming to me even than cats. And, you know, some, sometimes it feels like cats can be the most mystifying, but (laughs) it's, it's, it's this longing that people have to have these, this, this deep connection with their dog. And so often what will bring someone to animal communication is something rather dramatic or traumatic. And so, you know, we get someone coming because there's some kind of serious digestive upset, or there's a loss of mobility, or there's aggression, or there's um, what we've been talking about, this this high sensitivity trait that's not understood, or there's an end-of-life transition that's unfolding, or their animal has passed into spirit, and they just don't know how they're going to, they can't even hardly take a breath because it's so difficult. And so that's usually where where I first meet this 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 human and their animals is in these moments of 
kind of extreme trauma. And so I can't point to a single interaction or a session or conversation I've ever had that hasn't been worth resharing. I'll just say that up front. Uh, But one of the ones that really sticks and really sticks in my head was this dog named Max and his, his human eventually became one of my animal communication students. And now she is, uh, able to talk with all the the dogs in their family. But when I first met her, she was carrying around this burden that nobody knew about. And she had lost her soul dog, Max, 30 years before. And she had never told anyone about how deeply it had impacted her at the time she was a mother with two young kids and a difficult and chaotic home life and a very, um, very stressful schedule. And the day that Max passed, the way that the events unfolded didn't go the way that she thought they should have and would have wanted them to. And she had carried around these feelings kind of locked inside of her for many, many, many years. And what had happened without her making any connection between the two is that she had developed upper respiratory problems. She, uh, she or upper respiratory, she did upper chest problems and respiratory problems. And, uh, this persistent cough that wouldn't go away and to the point where she began systematically restricting her social interactions. She stopped going to her daughters and her grandkids events. She stayed away from parties. She didn't host anyone to her home because she felt like her cough was so off-putting and she didn't know when, if she was in a service, if it would, she'd start coughing and disrupt everyone. And so she was just kind of putting more and more, like, it was like, we tried to peel the layers off the onion. She kept wrapping herself more and more tightly with all these restrictions. And finally, she allowed me, after her daughter had, had brought me in to, to work with their golden retrievers, she finally allowed me to help her reconnect with Max. And Max had such an amazing message for her. And What was really remarkable is that not only did she she write to me later and say that she felt like a 50-pound bowling ball had been removed from her heart, but to my knowledge, and I just spoke with her a couple of weeks ago in 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 a workshop that I facilitated, her cough went away and hasn't come back. Wow. And the impact that animal communication can have on our lives, it at any stage of our, of our relationship journey with another soul, you know, we have to recognize that uh, uh, dogs and humans have kept company for millennia. You know, we come into this body, into this lifetime, into this incarnation, not knowing how many other times we've kept company with dogs and how essential they are. We're It's actually woven into our DNA and into their DNA. Mm. Dogs have even developed special eyebrow muscles that wild wolves don't have that allow them to make puppy dog eyes at us because it's so effective. (laughs) So there's literally signals and signs in our DNA that causes us to crave ever deeper connection. We've had a little, we want a lot. If we've got a lot, we want to dive in and have it all. And so any, even the most surface 
kind of scratch issue can lead to the, this depth of awareness and awakening and the, the miracle of what's possible when we really love someone and we really allow them to love us. So often we're, we're pretty good at giving love. We're not always so great at, at receiving, receiving it. And we tend to keep it outside of us in the form of, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to fix you. I'm gonna, and then you're going to feel grateful. And I'm going to kind of, you know, tell myself I did a good job or did the right thing, but I'm not really going to let it in. And so sometimes this can even manifest as physical or emotional or mental glitches in our system because we need to learn to let it in. And so, you know, this is why I don't want to, you know, by highlighting one story, I don't want to you know, discount in any other way, any of the other aha moments that have come through the many conversations I've had, but that was definitely one of the most dramatic that I've been lucky enough to be a part of. That's so powerful. Wow. Yeah. I love hearing these kinds of stories. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's really, uh, <sighs> One of the other amazing things that I've I've really enjoyed about this work it was a, it was a complete surprise to me. It's not like you know because I got a download that I'm an animal sensitive and intuitive that somehow the whole manual also got downloaded into me at the same time and told me every possible experience I would ever have and everything I ever needed to know about how it works at the soul level of things. No, the animals teach me every single conversation, and I've I've been privileged several times to help facilitate an animal that's in spirit to return in a new in a new body to come back and spend more time with their human and that's always really neat and and when it you know when it unfolds what what ends up happening is that animal becomes that human soul teacher and helps them to awaken their own intuitive gifts it's like we've all kind of we've got this this program, we've all got this interspecies communication program that uses, uses the intuitive level of our senses. We've got our eyes, we've got our ears, we've got our nose and mouth and our skin and, and these deep gut knowings, these hunches that we tend to feel in our belly. And we just, it, you know, when I, when I talk about knowings, I mean, it's that thing that your mind tries to talk you out of, that everybody else tries to talk you out of, and you hold on to it anyway. You just can't be talked out of it. You know the thing that you know and you can't unknow it. It's like, you know, the matrix, it's like waking up. You can't go back to sleep. And so we've all got the intuitive level of our everyday senses. Most of us, they, they we only become aware of it in these crisis moments. And so it's about becoming aware of it every single day. It's like we've got this inner GPS installed. It's part of our operating system. We just never really bothered to you know, go look for it, download it, unzip it, install it, and take it for a test drive. And so when these animals say, I'm willing to come back, or I want to come back, when that human says, I can't, I, I can't do this without them, you need to come back. We're, first of all, we're looking at a soul contract. Second of all, we're looking at a human who's ready to wake up, who's interested in activating the intuitive level of their sensory pathways, because it's going to take awake and active intuition to recognize your soul animal when they come back. And it is so cool when it happens. And I love being a fly on the wall, really just being a cheerleader for that human 
when they write to me very tentatively or they contact me and they want me to talk to a new animal that they're thinking about. And there's usually this really amazing story attached to it. And my job is to be a cheerleader and to, to be their believing eyes and to say to them, this is happening for you. This is how it happens. Because of course, I've got hundreds of these experiences where I've seen students, I've seen pet parents, I've experienced it in myself. (laughs) What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like when your intuition wakes up, turns on and sends you a, a message? So I can say to them, yes, trust that. Yes, let's keep going with that. Let's keep following that path. Just their, I'm just their cheerleader. I'm just their coach. You know, I'm not doing it for them. I can't do it for them. But I can support them to learn how to do it for themselves. And it's really neat when I get that email. I found her. I found him. You know, it's like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Do you think that there are pet parents who are experiencing animal communication with their pets who don't even necessarily realize that's what they're doing? I sure did for years. I mean, talk about get the last person to get the memo. (laughs) I even had my own animal communicators trying to convert me, trying to tell me, you know, you could, you could sign up for a class, you know, you can do this. And I'd be like, well, just tell me if they really like your, their new enclosure. Just tell me if I should be feeding a different food. You know, I was like a crack addict. I was like, just, and I was just waiting with bated breath to find out the answers. And I really thought it was like winning some kind of, you know, genetic talent lottery. Like, oh, there is the special, it was either that or when, you know, the voice or American Idol, like I couldn't decide which would be cooler, you know, or be a, a pet psychic. And it's like, we're all pet psychics. We're all animals. We've all got the same basic wiring and the same basic parts. If you want to really learn about that, read a book by Neil Shubin called Your Inner Fish. Oh God, that's a really, that's an exciting read when we discover how we're just like fish. We have all the same basic parts. You know, we're really just not that different. And it's, it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around that, most of us, because all our lives we've been taught that humans are different. We're different. And while this can feel temporarily like, oh, we're special, it also can feel like, which is the one that doesn't belong in this picture? We feel like, you know, we don't really fit in. We don't really belong here. We're not like all the rest. Well, guess what? We are like all the rest. That's why, no no offense to tax accountants, but nobody wants to visit the accountant's office on their holiday. We want to go to nature. (laughs) We want to go, we want to go, you know, out in, in, even outdoor concerts, we go to the green spaces, we're in the open air, we're in the sky. I mean, nature time skyrocketed during COVID because it's the only place we could be together and also be at least relatively safe. So you have to recognize we have that same basic craving. It's really created kind of an artificial uh, relational experience in, in the in you know pet circles because we find ourselves creating things like dog diners and cat cafes where, you know, we dress our animals up in human clothes and we sit them at the table. It's like, that's just a little bit of an aberrant. It's a little misunderstanding of what it is that we're really craving. 
It's like we want, we don't really want them to be more like us. We actually want to be more like that. We want permission to be more like them to recognize our own animalistic instincts are also our intuitive instincts. We, we belong and we need each other. This is the only time in history we've been so divorced from nature and so divorced from animals. It's also the only time in human and recorded human history when animals have had no other job keeping company with humans beyond being our companions. It's why more than half of all humans when polled say that they'd rather be stranded on a desert island with their pet than with their human partner. That's a difficult (laughs) one. That's a tough one to admit. And why more and more humans are leaving their estate to their animals. Because their animals have made more of a, a high quality, you know, an impact, a positive impact in their in their lives, in their hearts, made their lives feel worth living than other humans, than other human animals have. So we look yeah. at that and we realize, you know, let's let's us let's meet them halfway. Let's start to rekindle. Everybody listening to this has had at least one moment. If you, if you think you're listening to this and you think I've never had an intuitive moment in my life, let me ask you, have you ever felt somebody's eyes on you while your back was turned? Has the phone ever rung and you knew who was calling or the door well ever rung and you knew who was standing there before you went to check? Have you ever just woken up and gotten a good vibe or more dramatically a bad vibe about a decision you were making or a new relationship you were starting? We've all had them. Now recognizing these are not anomalies. This is the this is the way that a wild animal makes it from breakfast to lunch and lunch to dinner without being plated and served. It's really quite, it's wired into our survival system. It's wired into the very, the the fundamental nature of who we are. One of the the metaphors or examples that I always like to use is like when you walk into a room and you know that those people had been arguing and like, they're not saying anything to each other right now, but you can just feel it. You can just feel it like the, you know, feel that vibe, get, you get that energy, you get that sense without anybody saying anything. Like <laughs> that's something that or I, when you uh, walked into that studio and you felt the Reiki. Yep. Absolutely. You just, you just feel it. So it's just start, you know, as you're listening to this, just, you know, dear listeners, just start, start noticing more. Sometimes awareness is that it's like 90% of the way. Because the chances are good. You asked, you know, how many pet parents are probably having conversations with their animals? Most, most of them. It's just that we're expecting, you know, some kind of big rocket ship from the sky to land in our front yard and announce it. And it's like most of this stuff is really pretty, it's pretty mundane, just like most of our conversation and interaction with our human partners. It's pretty mundane. Much of life is pretty routine. I mean, I had one student come to me and she says, I go to the dog park and I talk to the dogs every day. And all I hear are things like, why, you know, I really like that dog over there. or I wish they had brought the orange ball or I don't like my leash or, you know, I wish I could play with the smaller dogs. 
and I wish I was getting deep stuff and I, and I had to, you know, invite her to, to look at the context. You know, these animals are at home. They're probably cooped up in their house, the yard. They're coming to the dog park. They love it. They have their ideas of how it should go because it's a favorite time for them. So you ask them how their day is going, what's going, they're not going to drop and, and, you know, drop it all and start telling you about the deep domestic conflict going on in their home life or, you know, whatever. The fact that the lady dog down the street is in heat, they're going to tell you about what's happening right now in their life, doing something they really enjoy. It's going to sound mundane. So when you get mundane conversation that's going on or what I call mundane, I think animal communication, all of it's pretty miraculous actually. But if you're getting, you know, kind of just casual chit chat, you're doing it right. <laughs> and it's not going to, it's not going to be so different. I mean, it may feel, you may get those breakthrough conversations. And here's, here's an example from my own life. Um, yesterday we bought a bunch of bird feeders and my mom decided that she, um, she was willing to kind of rearrange our, our den area, which is when our, where our dachshund hangs out most of the day. He's got his own rugs and his toy basket and everything is just so, and it's been just so for decades with the couch over here and the rugs over there. Well, we shook it up because we're putting a long table by the big picture window so we can watch the birds. And I caught a snippet of his conversation with my tortoise, Malty, because they're best friends. And he was saying to Malty, who was outside at the time, you're not going to believe what they're doing in here. They're, they're messing everything up. And Malty, who loves new things and novelty, she said, oh, chill. Change is good. New <laughs> is good. It's fun. I mean, and I actually, here I am, I'm just, you know, moving furniture and all of a sudden I just pick up this conversation. It's funny. It's just very ordinary, <laughs> you know, because that's the other thing. There's conversations. It's just like all of our electronic devices. We know they're all talking to each other without us, right? <laughs> they're always updating and, you know, hot spotting and Wi-Fiing and doing all their things. It's the same with our animals. They're all, they're they're having conversations. If an animal doesn't want to tell you something, one of the best ways to get the information is to ask one of their animal family members. <laughs> you know, because they're all talking to each other. So, we have to remember that this is this it would be far less normal or expected that these conversations aren't always happening. It's just we're not we don't know how to tune in. And that's the role of, you know, when I teach, that's the role that I play is just what is your mind's job? You know, what are we, what are we supposed to do with our mind that wants to participate? If we don't give it a job to do, it will find one. <laughs> and it probably won't be helpful. So how does this all work? develop the roadmap for how does it work? How does the information come in? Where does it go? What ha when it gets to the mind, it's very important to understand that the, the, in the animal has already, already shared the information. By the time it gets to the mind, we're already coding it to be shareable to another human, usually in the form of words. So it's really important to understand this inner mechanism and how, how it works. And once you kind of understand it, it's just about practicing. It's like when we, when we first started talking, we only knew five words, 
you know, we didn't really know how to put them together. Now, two or three or four or five decades later, we're pretty good at having conversations. <laughs> We've already got that skill. We just need to learn how to do it at a little bit more of, of a, a deeper, intuitive level, allowing the full capabilities of our senses to be a part of it. So one of the questions I always have to ask when I talk to somebody who's in this kind of work, you know, in my day job, I work as a paralegal. Nobody has ever said to me, I don't believe that. I don't believe in doing that. <laughs> Do you ever encounter people like that troll kind of uh, mentality? Do you have people who don't, you know, believe in what you're doing or who think it's a scam or, or something? Have you ever had to deal with any of that kind of stuff? I have, you know, especially when I was a student. I mean, I'm always going to be a student. So, and I'm always still in classes and still learning, but you know, there, there is, there are always going to be folks who have a different point of view. I guess that's what makes living here on earth so lively at times. I've, I have recognized that I'm not on a mission to convert. To me, this isn't a belief system. It's not something I believe in as in, I don't know for sure, but maybe it just was important to me to believe that I know, or it's just, it feels right. It's, it's something that I've actively experienced. It's something that I tangibly uh, participate in day in and day out. And for that reason, I don't, I don't feel called to try to change anyone's mind. If somebody feels really strongly um, in a different direction, then I respect that. I don't have all the answers and I have no way of knowing if perhaps in their world, on the dimension that they're living in, maybe this really doesn't happen. I don't know. I mean, how would I ever know that? I just know that it's true for me. And so for me, it's absolutely fine to say peace. You know, I, t I am good with agreeing to disagree. I, I have no agenda here. And I don't expect that what works for me, what feels true for me, and what has been useful for me in my own life and my own experiences with my animals, um, I don't. I don't have any attachment to having to have it work for you too. So it's it's really to me. I, I ground myself in Don Miguel Ruiz's. Ruiz, sorry, that's so disrespectful. I can't say his name, and I, I just love his book, The Four Agreements, so much. Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, one of the four agreements is don't take anything personally. And so it's not personal if you don't get what I'm all about and what I do, and if. If you find it threatening or in some way or scary, then I have nothing for you. I, I can't, I don't know how to help you because it's not threatening or scary to me. Um, I've only had to deal with a few trolls on social media, even though I came from a very different part of the pet industry or the pet circle running my blog with my animals. I was already so conversational with them. I feel like most of our extended flock made the shift with relative ease. I've had a few, most recently I had a woman who 
when I shared one of the miracle signs that Pearl was coming back to me in the form of petal, she just got very unhappy and very belligerent on social media. And she said um, she didn't believe in that sign. And, you know, and I, I said to her, well, this is just me. You know, Einstein once said that in life, either we can live as if nothing's a miracle or if it's, everything's a miracle. And I'm, I've just, I've chosen option B and she continued to argue and kind of kill the vibe that was otherwise positive. So, you know, the block button is there for a reason. I don't love to use it, but sometimes it's called for, and that's okay because sometimes people are so triggered or threatened that they don't know to, 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 to walk away themselves, you know? And so sometimes we have, we, we have every right, you know, if anyone is, is, is listening to this and is thinking, I, you know, I, I, I feel my intuition is waking up. I feel like I, I really might want to do something, be a part of this community and, and those in your existing circle, they don't vibe in that direction. Well, let me tell you, I've had to, 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 to let a lot of things, a lot of relationships, a lot of people fall away from me because we just don't have anything in common anymore. We're not interested in the same things. We don't even like to talk about the same things. It's awfully hard to sustain a close relationship when you don't share common interests. It's okay. It doesn't mean there has to be antagonism. But you serve no one by refusing to acknowledge who you are and what your heart desires just to keep the peace in your existing community. You know, our job, I feel like in in many ways, when we're ourselves as authentically and and humbly and and lovingly as we can be, we give everyone around us permission. I know there's this famous quote, and I, I, I'll mangle it if I try, but I just feel like you've, you've got to be who you are. It's the greatest service that you can offer to anyone of any species that you love, whether they know it or not. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, you have a great podcast also called Let's Talk to Animals. And I know you said that you also do some teaching. Can you tell everybody more about where they can find you and how to work with you? Absolutely. Let's Talk to Animals is all about demystifying the woo-woo. It's really about animal communication and all of us who are in some way, shape, or form a part of this growing interspecies conversation that's happening all the time and everywhere all around us and 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 to us and for us. And so, you know, I've interviewed over, we're in season four now. So I'm coming out from behind my hostess badge a little bit more and sharing some of my personal adventures and experiences. And most recently, the experiences I've had um, caring for and, and parenting, if you will, highly sensitive pets, um, shepherding myself through my own experiences of pet reincarnation and just sharing, you know, kind of what we've been talking about a little bit of the differences of what's, you know, what do we use Reiki for versus, you know, how does animal communication work? How do we learn it? When's the right time to learn it? Things like that, but also welcoming guests. I'm really looking forward to our upcoming episode as well. So I've got awesome guests, many, many animal intuitives and Reiki masters and holistic practitioners and veterinarians from around the world represented in seasons one through three. And also uh, lots of fun, uh, lots of fun experiences from fellow pet parents 
who are sharing about their own personal experiences with um, intuitive animal communication and how it has impacted and changed their lives and their animals' lives. So that's been really fun. You can find us over at Buzzsprout, let's talk to animals.buzzsprout.com. We're also at animallovelanguages.com backslash podcast. The blog's there too. And the free tools that we talked about earlier, including the highly sensitive pet quiz and the podcast and all that good stuff. And of course, right now I've got a monthly um, pet and people Reiki circle going where we're listening to different solfeggio frequencies during distance Reiki transmissions once a month. And I've also got workshops that are coming up, learn animal communication and blog posts that come out usually every week about different topics that hopefully can either support you in the animal communication experiences you're having at home with your own animals. If you want to learn more about animal communication, or if you'd like to have an animal communication session, I mean, that's how I first encountered animal communication is by having a session because it's one thing to decide in our minds, oh, that's possible or that's not possible. It's quite another to experience it. And it can be quite jaw-dropping. Our animals spend all day in our company. So guess who knows us? All of our little quirks and our little private moments and all the things we think nobody's aware of, our pets know. So they can have some interesting things. One of my favorite sessions to do is called Pet Love Letters. And it's where we kind of turn the tables a little bit. And you get to ask your animal anything about What wisdom, what guidance, what advice, what insight do they have for you in your own life, relationships, career, where do you live, what makes your heart sing, your health? You can ask your aunt because they they have opinions. (laughs) They have insights and they know you better and they, they see you. This is the key. They see you through the eyes of unconditional love. And, and so the, the wisdom that comes back, it comes with your highest and best interest at heart, and it comes with kindness, which is something that's often lacking when we get feedback from others of our own species, even if it's well-meant and loving in its intent. I have never heard an animal give a message that felt or sounded in any way unkind even when the news might've been a little tough. So that's definitely something worth considering. If you're feeling stuck in your own life, why not ask your animal for some guidance? Oh, I love it. I'll make sure we have links to everything in the show notes so everybody can find you. Thank you so much for your time today, Shannon. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you for the invitation. want to keep you too long, but I wanted you to know that there'll be links in the show notes so that you can find out more about working with Shannon, maybe have an animal communication reading with her. And I was recently a guest on Shannon's podcast, Let's Talk to Animals. So I'll make sure there's a link for that in the show notes too, if you want to hear what Shannon and I talk about. And you'll get to see Petal on her shoulder. And I also include links to all the other things we discuss. And if you're located in the Maryland, D.C., uh, Virginia, Mid-Atlantic kind of area, I'll have a link to Kathleen Lester and the Animal Reiki Alliance. That's where I was attuned to learn Reiki. And it's a really powerful, fascinating experience that if it's something that 
resonates with you at all, I encourage you to explore it. I was trying to explain to somebody what Reiki is or what it feels like. And I was just trying to think like, if you have your dog next to you and they're like laying on you and, or even, you know, your partner, your child, your parents, and you're like summoning up all like the love that you have in your heart for them. And you're like, just wishing that they could feel all this love in you. And that's what Reiki is. At least that's what it is to me. It's trying to express all of that love and send it out of your body. And Reiki gives you this ability to do that so that other people can feel your love and that you can feel other people's love. And if that's something that sounds at all interesting to you, uh, make sure you check these links in the show notes. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.